as, as a black man yourself going to that event, does that perception of how that can be seen cross your mind or do you not care? Um, well, yeah, you know what? People have said to me that there were racists there and you know what? If you get a large group of people, you're going to find that some of them are racist. So I went in with my eyes open. I'm Neil Maggs and this is Bristol Unpacked speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread brought to you by the city's community-owned media The Bristol Cable Dell supports Black Lives Matter but he also went to the counter-protest a week later at the Cenotaph in Bristol Oh, by the way, he's black. So to introduce yourself, my name is Delroy Hibbert and uh, born and raised Bristolian. One of the reasons for talking to you, you know, for a number of, you know, number of things, really, you're an interesting person, interesting voice, got an interesting take on things happening in the city for the series that we're doing. But the main thing really was on, on Saturday, there was, I think it was a branded as an All Lives Matter event in Bristol, which was a week after the Black Lives Matter event. And um, mm. you were one of a few a few black people that actually went at the, at the I event. I was there, yeah. yeah. I was invited to be there, to come along, yeah. to see, basically, that, you know, to challenge the media narrative and to see what was going on, to get across that they weren't a far-right organisation and that they were organising this rally really to protect the centre. So, so what is the media narrative on this then for you? The media narrative, is, I think, has been very divisive in that Black Lives Matter has got some very good issues that it needs to talk about around racism, around police and other issues around that. And it's been portrayed as being almost quite, quite extreme. And, you know, certainly what we've seen in London was that when they had the march there, um, instead of really talking about the issues, the media sort of focused on the fact that statues have been defaced, you know, which gave it the sort of wrong narrative as far as I was concerned. They didn't talk about thousands of people marching against injustice. They talked about a handful of those people, very small minority, probably, you know, you count them on one hand, that had been sort of vandalising things. That really kind of got me angry. So we had the Colson statue pulled down and thrown into the river. Then the following Saturday, we had this event. The whole reason was specifically around protecting the cenotaph. And this is the contentious issue. Some people say, who were they protecting it from? Other people are saying, well, actually, there were rumours that there were a couple of people with spray cans trying to to go for the cenotaph on the the Saturday before. Did you witness that? On the Sunday before. Sunday before, sorry. Yeah, I didn't, but I was told about it from one of the organisers I know. Um, so that obviously travelled quite far, and I think there's yeah. a story in the paper. So lots of people came down. You know, there were football fans from both Rovers and City, bikers, uh, people from the military, ex-military, ex-military, to stand outside um, and protect the the, the cenotaphs. And you went down to that. Um, yeah. Do you? I mean, do you think there is a genuine threat to war memorials from the left at the moment? Um. I don't think there's a threat whatsoever from Black Lives Matter. I think there are people that have maybe, like we've seen with other demonstrations in the past, people will attach themselves to the 
wider body of the people and carry out their own acts. You know, so I don't think that Black Lives Matter is has any issues whatsoever with the cenotaph in Bristol. When you say people have attached themselves to, to, to the movement, what do you mean? Basically, the you know, the march was called and a lot of people joined it. Just like any demonstration, they would have come from a variety of different backgrounds. Now, I think there are some people who maybe they have another issue with the cenotaph or maybe they just wish to cause problems for Black Lives Matter. I don't know. We've seen certainly in the States that happening where it could be that there's been accusations of far-right groups posing as Black Lives Matter to give them um, a bad image. Um, It could be that it was just a couple of young idiots. A lot of the criticism in the States, and even from Trump himself, has been specifically aimed at anti-FA, isn't it? Anti-fascists as causing issues. Um, When you say people that are co-opting Black Lives Matter, is that who you mean? Um... That's one of them. There's certainly been other people. Uh, well, there's been accusations that people who oppose Black Lives Matter have been part of the protests or part of the riots to give them a bad name. And it did give them a bad name because they want to take the attention away from the issues Black Lives Matter are talking about and get people talking about vandalism and anti-far and the far left instead, which is what happened. So it's kind of mixed them, but messages. I, I, you know, as I say, Black Lives Matter is it's a very loose movement, you know, um, and there are people out there, yeah, legitimately talking about these things, and they've been, you know, talking about them for a long time. I mean, certainly the Colson campaign has been going on for over twenty years, but you know, we are talking specifically about the cenotaph, which I think is a lot seen as being different, certainly than Statue or Churchill. You know, you're talking about a memorial to ordinary people that died. Um, in World War One and World War Two, it's a world war, so a lot of people that died weren't necessarily British. I mean, and that's a key point, isn't it? That I think that for for, the, for all the ills of the empire, the you know the situation within, if you look at soldiers that died across the whole of World War Two, obviously that encompassed everybody. And I think that this is where it gets sticky and complicated. That there's a social media narrative that it was a group of far right people going to the cenotaph, and the reality is probably a bit well, like anything is a bit more nuanced. As, as a black man yourself going to that event, does that perception of how that can be seen cross your mind or do you not care? Um, well, yeah, you know what? People have said to me that there were racists there. And you know what? If you get a large group of people, you're going to find that some of them are racist. So I went in with my eyes open. I wasn't particularly concerned that I would be threatened or intimidated at all. And I certainly, apart from one issue of misunderstanding, which I never felt actually scared by, um, I felt comfortable. I know of a black person that didn't even know what was going on and walked through it. And, you know, he felt completely comfortable. So, And, and you weren't the only black person there. There were, uh, there were, there were a, a small handful of others. The one thing I felt, that, and I want, this is what I wanted to ask you, was that to me it felt a little bit like a bit of a warning shot to say, we're here, we're also in the city, we're in Bristol, don't think about touching the cenotaph. Because when the bikers turned it, to me, that looked like a showing of strength a little bit or a bit of solidarity, perhaps. 
Well, that you know, that's how you know bikes all arrive, and uh, yeah, and no doubt it was a show of solidarity, and no doubt it was a message to any idiot who's going to run around with a spray can not to do it again, you know. And I mean, I I completely disagree with the two people that tried to vandalise it. I think that it's you know it shouldn't have been touched at all, and you've got to remember it was only two people, two people out of the entire march so what so if it was only two people why did it meet why did it take a mass gathering the following week of loads of people to protect it if 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 it's not do do you see what i mean that's that's the amount of people that turned up because you know they um you know it wasn't that there was a massive call to say thousands of people it was to say that we're going to be down there again and people decided to arrive yeah yeah i guess the, the key question to all this sort of stuff is how how do you build a bridge between the kind of black lives matter argument and the all lives matter argument as as a as a black person what would your answer be to that you've got to communicate you know in any situation is you know i'm not talking as a black person i'm talking as a human being now yeah. you know if you want to get through to people if you if you want to get past this you've got to communicate you've got to talk to people you've got to be willing to sit down and talk you know, people say that you shouldn't sit down and talk, but let's look through history. How do you solve wars? It's because two enemies sit down and talk. In the would that room. even, would you say, what, even with people that are racist, you would do that? Well, I've just given the example of wars where you've had two people fighting each other and killing each other, then people will sit down. People who are racist aren't necessarily going to want to sit down with me. But you know what? I spoke to a lot of people down there and they said to me, we don't have a problem with Black Lives Matter. We support the aims of Black Lives Matter. You know, what they have a problem with is people spraying the cenotaph. That is it. They even said to me and the organisers said to me, they don't care about Colson's statue. It was to do with the cenotaph. And that's got to be made clear. People weren't anti-Black Lives Matter. People weren't anti-Black. That wasn't displayed to me. You know, I'm sure that there were people in the crowd, because as I say, if you get 100 people together, you're going to find racists. You know, it's just saying that you're going to find some vegetarians. But for me, we've got to separate the, the race issue from this. Is there an argument to play devil's advocate that it's easier to blame everything on white middle class anti-far people if you are some of the far right? Because you had to come out and say... I am racist, I don't like black people in 2020, you know, you're going to immediately encounter a kind of hostility and a reaction. I say that because there was an interest, it may have been a slip of the tongue, but in the video, one of the fellas, I think, says, um, it's all right, we're not being racist today, which I thought was quite funny, and I don't think he kind of sort of mm. meant it like that. That is this the sense, do you feel that sometimes by kind of almost having my arm around you, look, look, I'm with, I'm with someone that's black, that makes me not kind of racist. There's a slight... Yeah, uh, a virtue signal thing there a bit. You're going to get that. But as I said, I used the example previously. You're going to get that within, you know, the Labour Party, within the Tory Party. You know, they're not going to, the Tories aren't going to come out and say, we hate Muslims, but we know there's a massive problem with Islamophobia. You're looking at a group and thinking that there's a group mentality. Well, certainly there are people who've got racial mentality, but there are a lot of people who you can actually speak to and who actually want to speak to me. Do you feel that... Traditionally, the left would be seen as being more tolerant and understanding. Do you feel in some regard that that's losing its way a touch? I think that's losing its way in general. I think in general within society, and this is what disturbs me, 
we have become completely intolerant to people who don't share the same views as us. And this is why we've got this toxic atmosphere at the moment. Why do you think that's increasing? Well, it's certainly been a lot more toxic since we had the whole Brexit vote because people reacted really badly towards each other on both sides. It split families, it split friends. People were saying, oh, you know, I'm going to delete people from social media because they voted for the other side. And it became really nasty. But this is the culture that we're in at the moment. When I find that you speak to people, well, then you can actually, you know, um, diffuse the situation. You saw the video that I was involved in on Saturday, um, I was faced with a group of angry people. The video is two minutes long. Uh, within 60 seconds, people were shaking my hands and, you know, telling me that um, we had actually some sort of common cause. We ain't racist. 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 Don't let the media divide us. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Wait, well, I thank you for seeing things clearly. Yeah. Let's just all move away. Listen, hey, they fucking called us far right and we're acting like far right and we're fucking not. So let's get away from here. I think that people are very angry because they think that the other side is going to be against them and is labelling them. And this goes for both left and right. And I noticed and paid close attention to the social media response to both events and to London. And it, yeah. and, it, and it very much feels like pick a team. You know, yeah. you're either with us or you're against us from both sides. And, and I think death by social media algorithm these days. But I always try oh. and say to people, try and, try and talk to people with a different view than you, because I think that's becoming yeah. rarer and rarer. I mean, you can't blame, you know, everything on the right, because if you want to see intolerance and stereotyping, look at the, uh, the new statue that's been put on the site. I wanted to get on to that. Just as people listening may not know, there's a kind of caricature. I, you know, I'm, I'm doing inverted commas, a kind of chav, a kind of nationalist with a string vest and a, and a gut with a phone saying all lives matter um, that's been put up today. As I did see this a lot around the Brexit debate, a lot of mockery, a lot of kind of othering of, of someone with that different point of view. Uh, how helpful is that? Or is, it's it just, not helpful. is it just a bit of fun? Is it just a bit of fun? Well, you know, does the left accept it when people say, oh, it's just bants? <laughs> no, no, they, they don't. They don't. Yeah. You know, we don't accept the excuse, it's just bants, if people are a little bit racist or a little bit sexist. So if they're being a little bit classist, why should we accept it? Yeah. Is, I, I, I think that the class dynamic is interesting within this. If you look at lots of the protest movement, lots of the um, people that would consider themselves progressive, will often say that they are in support of issues that support the working class. But I have to be honest, I don't see that many of them that actually are working class these days. Mm. Yeah, well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? You know, um, what happened to the working class left? If you remove a culture, you remove livelihood, you remove a sense of self, and there's, there's a kind of kickback to that, and then you mock them, for that I, I don't know I just my, my sense is that that they we're in the middle of this culture war at the moment and and nobody's kind of giving yeah. away from either, either side you, you, you know we've got to try and find positions of nuance positions of solidarity 
but my sense is with the too many people that have led the conversation on the left have not got enough lived experience of some of this stuff. Well, yeah, and uh, and I think some of the reactions that have come out um, in the last week or two, where give a good example, the BBC and other sort of TV companies announcing what programmes that they were going to withdraw. And I just thought to myself, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like Faulty Towers, the, the, the episode of Faulty Towers. Yeah, the yeah, Mighty yeah. Boot. For me, it's a distraction. And it kind of shows how narrow their boards are, if that's what they think that's going to help. So we don't have a debate about institutional racism. We have a debate about whether somebody is using the right term in a sitcom from the 1970s. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's also, again, going back to the lack of communication, because these decisions seem to be made... Um, without actually speaking to black people. Yeah, so, interesting, yeah. You know, people should have been asked, people should have been consulted with, you know, rather than just like, right, I'm going to do this for you. Because personally, I would have preferred it if they said, right, you know, we're going to offer 10 apprenticeships to some young black kids that don't get a chance, or maybe some young working class kids from Southfield, you know, who don't normally get a chance, rather than sort of trawling through the archives. These are, and you've got to call it as it is, these are largely the white people... Um, from my side, I'm white, uh, that have been driving this whole conversation for the last, you know, 15, 20 years. But you've got to talk about class because, you know, it's not just, um, I wouldn't say it's white people like yourself. Yeah. You're, some of the, you're a working class guy who grew up in Eastern. You know, you, the decision makers aren't anything like you. Um, so I don't think you can just say it's about sort of skin colour. I think it's very important about class, you know, because if decision makers are coming out with suggestions like this, it's the thinking, isn't it? It's like we know best. It's very kind of patriarchal. It's very kind of paternalistic. So, which, yeah. you know, it doesn't work really for me. That um, well-meaning panic of shuffling of the deck chairs of, you know, quickly parachuting in a young 19-year-old black kids because we've got no diversity in the office uh not really giving up your seat the decision makers stay the same um you don't give anybody real power to influence ultimately it's just window dressing yeah well again this is you know it's it's a wider conversation isn't it about how we do this but what i think we don't do is knee-jerk reactions that sort of end up being completely useless and wind up a lot of people and certainly i saw quite a few um comments from black people where on social media and various things going well this is a distraction you know black lives matter is talking about institutional racism it's talking about how we're treated by the police it's talking about deaths and custody it's not talking about faulty towers you know most, <laughs> yeah. most of the kids on the march have never heard of faulty yeah, towers. yeah well yeah indeed it's taking away from actually what the conversation is supposed to be about yeah and what really made me angry last week, we were talking about statues and TV shows. You know, we weren't talking about how were we going to change things within the institutions. We weren't talking about... Is that, sorry to jump in, is that on purpose? I think possibly, quite a lot of the time, yeah. Because what better way, I mean, this one might sound a bit conspiratorial, what better way to remove a legitimate debate that may actually be a threat to the status quo let me put a question to you. Yeah. How many people spoke about Dominic Cummings last week? Probably none. Exactly. The week before, everybody was calling for his head. Mm. Now, if I was Dominic Cummings, I'd think, brilliant. I'm not saying that Dominic Cummings is behind this, but what I'm saying is this diversion, this culture war, this getting two groups of working class people to attack each other, now overshadowing other real issues like the coronavirus and the government's handling of it.
which is disproportionately affecting working class people, both black and white. If there is a constant culture war where both sides fail to find a kind of middle ground, um, left and right, Brexit remain, how do we kind of find a place where you can step beyond that a bit and you can actually have dialogue at the moment? Where, where, where do you see those places? You live in Bristol, you've been around Bristol. Do you see that in the city? Uh, well, I mean, you know, it's difficult at the moment with the pandemic. Well, well, yeah, it's difficult for anyone, yeah. You know, but you know what? Those conversations are starting now. Well, I'm not saying as a direct result of my actions, not, not at all. But, you know, we're aware of this. And I think people are actually getting fed up of the toxic atmosphere. And, you know, they're realising that, you know, we're not getting anywhere. It's almost like we're heading for the dark days of the 70s and the 80s. And we don't want that because things are going to get a lot worse. You know, uh, we talk about the economic effects of coronavirus. And I saw figures today of 2.8 million people signing on at the moment. Got Brexit coming next year and possible second wave. Things, I personally feel that things are going to get worse. And so we need to have the conversation before we're having street battles like we did in the 70s and 80s. So we need to start talking to each other. We need to start understanding that, you know what, sometimes you're not necessarily going to agree with someone's view, but you can still understand where they're coming from. You can still communicate with that person. I've communicated with a lot of people around this over the last sort of week or so. And what's interesting for me is what we've actually got in common. Um, because I spoke to someone, well, several people said this to me, you know, um, that they supported the aims, certainly, of Black Lives Matter and what people were protesting about. But two things jumped at me is that people didn't like the way, and these are the football supporters I'm talking about and people supporting the surrounding centre, they didn't like the way they were portrayed by the media and they didn't like the way they were treated by the police. Now, where we heard that, we're also hearing that from black people. So, you know, they're from common ground. Uh, other than those occasions like you had on the weekend, very rarely do I see and have seen white working class people in a diversity discussion forum, um, generally and particularly in this city. The only representative of, of white culture in these diversity discussions is by definition middle class. Is, is it a time for them to get out of the way? Um, I think it's a time not necessarily to get out of the way. I think they need to maybe to have their own forums for these discussions. You can't change somebody else, so they need to have that discussion. That's an uncomfortable to... discussion. So in my experience, middle-class people are very comfortable talking about race, but they're not very comfortable talking about class because it explains... Well, they have, to. they have to, because, you know, this is why we're having these problems, you know. Yeah. They, they can't just, you know, expect white working-class people or black people to change. They have to change because they have the power. Yeah, yeah. From white middle, let's face it, white middle class people and black people at the moment are the two people that are having this conversation. White working class yeah. people aren't even in the room, yeah? So do we need to think about how, what message we send to people so they can feel comfortable to at least come in the room and have an opinion? I'm not trying to negate from, from the reality of, of the whole Black Lives Matter movement. You think what I'm trying to do is look at how are you going to make people get that and understand that and want to work with you? The first thing that I would say is, are you comfortable going into these kind of forums? You know, if you're not comfortable, where would you be comfortable? You know, it might be that we don't have a big 100, uh, 100 people in a big meeting. It might be that we have 10 people going out of the pub. 
you know, the most important thing is that we communicate and have a conversation. We don't have to be sat in a hall with, you know, whiteboards everywhere and breakout rooms every 15 minutes, you know. <laughs> the conversation, you know, I had great conversations with people who were swigging a can of lager. <laughs> Uh, are, are many black people having those conversations like you? I think so. Yeah. Why, why don't we don't Why don't we hear that very often? Because it's between friends. It's between work colleagues. You know, it, it's an informal forum. You know, um, it's Facebook. It's Twitter. I'm having these conversations several times a day. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, we're in a position where we are in a city quite uniquely that has. A mixed race mayor grew up in Lawrence Weston, working class council state in North Bristol and Eastern. First elected black mayor in the whole of Europe. We have a deputy that's a female black raster. We've had uh, Cleo Lake as Lord Mayor. Um, we've, we've got working class people around, around that sort of team. I don't think there's been an administration like this. Do you think that because of that, they, they, they could or should be in a position to navigate this culture war? perhaps more skillfully than some other places have done. I think what comes next after Colston on the plinth, if you don't get that right, it could kind of cause problems either way. Well, I think they've done the right thing in, you know, setting up the commission and saying that the statue is going to be moved to the museum um, and that, you know, we're going to have a lot more sort of education around this. And I think that's pretty much what they can you know the limits of what they can do at this moment in time because you know having the commission is the whole thing about sort of listening to people for the first time because you know the statue came down because of frustration you know um um so now they've decided that people need to be listened to um you know it's, it is very late and we should have done this years ago um but well, why do you think it took so long well, it's complicated. You need to speak to the campaigners, but certainly having um, the heavy influence of the merchant venturers in the city, an elected powerful group, the, um, you know, they didn't want to see that name being besmirched with the truth. But surely as an elected political leader, you can, you know, and this is not on Marvin or George or 30 years of the late of Labour Council before we had a mayor, surely as an elected democratic official, you ought to be able to oversee an unelected group of uh, of, pe- of men. Well, we're men then, they've changed now, but they've got a few women. But it, it, it's not a problematic situation to be in. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's probably unique um, in the country, to be honest. Yeah. It's very problematic and, uh, you know, it does need to change, um, really, going forward. It's a bit ridiculous uh, having that. Um, so, you know, we do need to be like other cities and have decision democratically by people that are elected, definitely. What would you like to see on there? What would I like to see? Um, now, personally, what I wouldn't like to see, I'll start off with, is a, a monument of a slave in chains or, you know, anything like that, because it was traumatising walking past the Colson statue. I don't want to see something like that. And I don't want to see something that's going to be vandalised or seen as a target by, um, you know, you know, I want to see the slave trade in the curriculum, I want to see a slave trade in the museums, I want people to be educated about it. So I don't want to see um, a monument there. That's me as an individual, that's not the black community or Black Lives Matter, that's just me personally. Um, What I would like to see there is um, in terms of 
it's going to be more class-based. Um, it's going to be, I think we should put a monument to the other people who are exploited by the merchants, um, and which is the ordinary working class people, the people that lived in slums in Redcliffe and St. Paul's and around the centre, you know, the people that carried the boxes of tea on their backs off the ships, the dockers, you know, the people that made the cigarettes and spent 12 hours a day uh, on a factory for very little pay, you know. And so the men and women that actually physically built the city, because Cotton didn't build anything, he just made a lot of money, you know. <laughs> the other exploited group, there were two exploited groups, they're exploited white working class and they were exploited slaves. You know, so let's put up a monument to them and let's have an educational thing about their lives. But a lot of white people, a lot of white working class people don't know what you just said. They don't know that, um, you know, he did no favours to them either. Why do a lot of white working class people identify with very rich? You know, you know, why are you doffing your cap to, to, to him? There's, there's, I, I, find, I find that difficult to grasp. That's the one thing I struggle with. Well, we've, we've never been educated, you know. <laughs> We've never been educated. You and I uh, both grew up in Bristol and we went to school in Bristol. Did you learn anything about Colston? Didn't know nothing about him until I was about about 25, I don't think, to be honest. Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's why people, you know, have misconceptions. It's, it's ignorance. And I'm not saying ignorance in a nasty way. I'm just talking about a lack of knowledge to be able to make an informed choice about Colston. Um, what's been really interesting is that no matter what, sided debate um, it falls on there are so many people it's been revealed that didn't know about Colston you know yeah. there were people that you know I saw comments where people said I've lived all my life and I've walked past that statue a million times I never realized who it was or what he did or you know things like this so you know as I say it comes down to education and this is why I want the education to be in the curriculum I want it to be in the museums I want people to know and it's funny because people say you can't erase history, but the history has already been erased. Well, yeah, exactly. For sure. For so sure. It's been erased, it's been sanitised, you know, because history is written by the victors. And that's a key point now. And I think it's a, let's just part the cenotaph thing, because I think unless you're somebody, who, you know, if you're somebody who's completely anti-war, I think you can even have a fancy you support, you know, the fallen soldiers of, of wherever. Can I make a suggestion then? I think what we should do to unite the whole city Let's forget the plinth for now. What we need to unite this city is a, is a statue of Gary Penrose, yeah, and Cole Saunders, the Bristol Rovers legends, stood together in the middle of Ashton Gate. <laughs> I think, yeah. I'll have a word with some guys that I know, and I'll give them your number. Yeah, uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Go down yeah. and, uh, you can yeah. go and run a consultation in the Free Lions. Yeah, yeah, I will. I'll go down on the clipboard, and we'll get. I'll bring the whiteboard, like you said. We'll we'll do a Q and A. Uh, we'll brainstorm no, no, it. No, no, no we. There's no uh, we. I, I'm on my own on this one. Am I? No we. Yeah. So yeah. city fans. Yeah. yeah. Gary Penrose. Yeah. The night that you'll be doing it, I've got to go and visit the hairdresser. So. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of hair. <laughs> well, Phil, it's been um, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Thank you ever so much. Really enjoyed that. And um, yeah, take care. And we'll um, no doubt talk to each other on the other side of this. enjoyed this chat you won't want to miss next week i'll be talking to marty burgess about what it's like to be the first black member ever of the merchant ventures thanks for listening to bristol unpacked 
I'm Neil Maggs, and a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes, and if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable, along with 2,000 others, to create a new kind of media for the city.